0: The toffees come unstuck. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off pitch activities that have caught our eye and they will be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Okay, so it turns out that Carl's actually running a bit late. The opening of the show is always done pre-recording. So I'm going to have to turn it over to Matthew, but Carl does join us about 20 minutes in. So it's a full house eventually. Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke?
3: Yes, fortnight ago. Sadly, Fulham results haven't quite picked up in the way that I hope they would have. And sadly, one of the bad results has come against one of our guests today. So I'm sure that's going to be very exciting for me to talk about. But other than that, all is good. And of course, joining you this
0: week is Palace fan Max. Fulham fan Matthew's just alluded to what we're going to be starting with. You must be in quite a chipper mood, Max. Yes, yeah, very much, very much. I've been, I've been bouncing around with a smile on my face all weekend. Okay, so before we chat all things pod derby and more, I best do the social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking into the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can, that's on Twitter at Dan tracy nine eighty three. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audioboom. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Freelance Football Opportunities on Twitter at FFOps. If you're a freelancer and looking for paid jobs, they do an excellent weekly newsletter in return for a Patreon contribution of roughly £3 a month. I cannot recommend this enough in this current climate. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? I think we should reflect on our first pod derby of the season. And that means a review of Fulham versus Palace. So, Matthew, if I can start with you, what was your assessment of activities at the cottage this weekend?
3: Do we have to? Yes, oh, I mean, Fair didn't. enough. i <laughs> uh, this is what I'm, this is what I there As well, um, yeah, it's a standard Fulham procedure. Unfortunately, at the moment, everything looks good for the first five minutes. Then our defence is torn apart by a very good move um, by Wilfred Zaha and. Gyro Riedervelt. I'm sure Max will pronounce it a lot better than I would. Um, them two. And then it's just all downhill from there. Um, we had a couple of chances. Mitrovic missed a sitter, which he wouldn't have done 12 months ago. He seems to have been off the boil. And uh, then when it gets to 2 0, it's really game over. And it's a mountain to climb. And I'm hoping that this isn't a regular occurrence going forward. But something tells me, unless something drastically changes, that it's going to be exactly that. Well,
0: Max, I would imagine the mood for you, as I said earlier, would be quite chipper because not only did you win on Saturday, but you've quietly stuck up to eighth. Because you've sort of not been trailblazing or you know, swashbuckling, but you're getting results and you'd have to say quite a decent start to the campaign thus far. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, uh, it was a good performance. I was pretty pleased with it. I think we
1: also got 10 shots on target, which is the most we've had for about 400 years. Um, <laughs> so I was really pleased with that. Um, yeah, and, and we we have started the season pretty well as well. Uh, basically, uh, I know you should never what if and look back at look back at games and say, oh, we should have had more there, because every football fan does that, right? Um, but uh, we we had a really good chance to to get a point against Everton had we not been uh, denied by a, by a pretty unlucky penalty, which they've since changed the rules to reflect the fact it was such a it was such a poor decision. And then against Brighton, we conceded a ninety fifth minute deflection. Um, And and we'd have three more points um, if we'd have have, uh, managed managed to see those games out uh, with a draw and a win. So, yeah, I've I've been really enthused by how it went. Um, Not only was I pleased by the fact that we won and got the win over the line uh, against Fulham, I was also really enthused by the fact our attacking performance seemed to be be kicked into life after a
0: bit of a drab uh, performance uh, the previous week. So, Matthew, I think we need to talk about Scott P, because when managers are promoted from the Championship, there's always a case of, so what have you done for me lately? You know, all those efforts from the season before are very quickly forgotten if results don't go that way. And we're nearly at that point already with Fulham. So, I know it's a difficult question and probably one you don't really want to answer, but how much time has Scott Parker got on the Fulham touchline?
3: I think it's realistically until the international break which is coming up very soon like mid November I yeah. don't know how many I don't know how many Premier League games there are between that I know like it's West 2 or 3 max 2 or 3 you're right but I know it's West Brom who are you know relegation candidates fellow relegation candidates next Monday and I think if he doesn't get a result there then I think that's it now I've said from the beginning that given everything that was stacked against him the fact that we came off via the playoffs, which is always a disadvantage uh, for pro teams, the fact that it was a quick turnaround in the summer, more of a disadvantage, and the shambles that is Tony Khan, head of recruitment, ahead of him. I was never, go- I am never, I will not, and will never call for Scott Parker to go. I. And the way that he um, had a new three-year contract handed to him over the summer is a sort of, you know, it's a long-term project. So even if he does take us down, we have the faith in him to take us back up, similar to, you know, Sean Dyche and all that sort of stuff back in the past with Burnley. But I do think that the writing's on the wall for him. Again, I'm not calling for it, but I just think the way that things are going, it does seem inevitable that if results don't pick up quickly, then... The international break is usually the time that it happens and it's all sort of coming together now that it seems inevitable at this point.
0: Yeah, it's looking that way, unfortunately. Um, You know, it would be harsh, but, you know, football is a results business and Fulham aren't getting results. And with one relegation already happening two seasons ago... They don't want to be caught in this sort of yo-yo cycle. No matter how much money they get from TV and the like, they want to try and make a proper fist of it. And if you've got a, an international break, what, eight, nine games into the season, you've still got three quarters left, you might be able to turn the ship around. But, Max, in terms of the game itself, I think the biggest flashpoint was the sending off of Fulham's Kamara. Now, initially, it was a yellow card. A quick look to the monitor. It's upgraded to a red. Do you think that was the correct decision?
1: Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a bit of a wishy-washy answer and say no. basically... <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> um, I, I did, to be honest, if I, if I had to pick one, I think I would say yes, it was a red. And um, it's kind of mitigated by the fact that clearly I don't think it was uh, uh, a malicious tackle. It wasn't intent to cause harm, you know, in the way that, for example, Ashley Barnes stuck his elbow into Toby Alderweireld's head. So there, there is there is that. So I'm not saying it was, um, you know, violent or malicious or anything, but it was reckless. And although it does look worse in slow motion um, and when you replay it lots of times like that, I think it was probably just about a red. You know, it's pretty similar to Luca Dina's challenge on Kyle Walker-Peters. It's in a really nasty area. And and if he'd gone through um, with a bit more force, as they could have been really badly injured... Um, the ball wasn't really anywhere near. It was just a bit reckless and so probably uh, worthy of a red card. Although I do have a little bit of sympathy for him because, as I say, I don't think it was
0: premeditated or anything like that. Well, Matthew, Wilson start starts the season is already better than the whole of last season in terms of goal storing output. So I guess Will Hodgson will be hoping this rich vein of form continues for a while yet.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it does sort of come down to the players that he's playing with. I think the introduction of Eze, for instance, has been sensational for someone like Zaha Um in you know, in his ability to sort of create charts and open and open spaces for him and having Bashwai up, up front with him as yeah, you know, the the assist that he gave um, on the weekend was just proof that you know they've played together in the past, and it's one of these partnerships that really could form into something. Even the likes of Andros Townsend who played a role in it as well. I think it's just a case of now that he's finally got the players around him, that you know, no, some of them were there last year, but I think this group now is just you know going to take Zaha. Uh, I was going to say to that next level, but I don't think it's really to the next level. Just back to the level he was beforehand, which was a very
0: very good player. And when we talk of a rich vein of form, that's something that Everton failed to continue on Sunday as they were beaten away at Southampton. So, Max, I think it's easy to say it was their worst performance when you consider that they are still top of the table. So, something was always going to give eventually. But where did it go wrong in week six when it didn't between weeks one and five? Yeah, that's a little bit of a tricky one. They didn't have, um, they didn't have Andre Gomez.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, and he is a, a really solid... Presence in in centre mid, you know, six foot two, so he can do the kind of the 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 hard work, the hard yards, uh, the 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 graft. But he's also a really a really classy operator. I really I really rate him highly. And they um and they went with one more attacking player, and I think that that showed. Also, I think it's maybe a little bit harsh on Southampton to not mention their performance because, on their day, they are a really, really good side, and they they completely nullified Everton. They seem to they seem to be first to every second ball. Every 50-50, they are winning. They have got a bit of an edge with kind of players like Danny Ings and uh, and James Ward-Prowse, obviously who scored, and Yannick uh, Vestergaard. Basically, Southampton conceded. Um, I think it was five to Spurs. And they looked really, really poor. And then since then, they've dropped uh, their centre back Jack Stevens and brought in Yannick Vestergaard, uh, six foot seven, uh, giant, um, giant European. And 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 he's and he seems to have solidified the defence. But they were really solid, and they're they're getting the makings of a team um, who are playing really consistently. It's kind of the same players, but with a few new signings, um,
0: and so they're they're looking really strong. Well, this is it, Matthew, because we shouldn't really look at the Everton negatives, that probably makes a better story. We should be lauding Southampton, especially when you consider that a year removed from that, they were getting smashed by less than 9 0. So, not just a turnaround in this first part of the season, but over the course of 365 days, Ralph and his players have, you know, they've turned, not, well, I'll tell you 360, you'll be back to where you started. So, at least a 180 turn in
3: terms of results yeah absolutely i think some of it 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 is also you know everything getting back to normal as it were because i know in the first couple of weeks of the season we were talking about you know these strange results as people you know didn't quite have the preseason, players weren't totally fit that's why you had these again again these weird results popping up i think now it's just a case of everything getting back to the way it was uh last season i think you know last season after Hudson Hüttle had turned stuff around after the, after the nine nil defeat, a two nil win over Everton is probably what you'd expect. And Everton are probably in a case of, again, this is a, this is praising Southampton, not knocking Everton, but I do think Everton are starting to get back to where they were. As, as, no, as it were. I don't think they were always going to be title contenders throughout the season. It was just, a, you know, everything just fell in their favour, whereas now I think things just get back back to normal for them. And this is just, you know, one of the first, you know, quite normal results that we're likely to see from a side like Everton. So Max, in terms of Southampton's
0: players, we usually focus on Danny Ings on this show, maybe because of laziness from the scriptwriter myself, but I want to focus on Che Adams this time, the other half of the strike force. He scored on Sunday. He's Getting to being a Premier League striker at first when he's moved from Birmingham, he he proclaimed Southampton could win the Premier League. And you thought, all right, Chase, settle down. And he wasn't quite getting there in terms of goals. But there is progression in his play now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there.
0: (laughs) That's absolutely fine,
1: mate. Um, I think uh, I think he he is he is developing into a really good player. And we we can't forget he is a he is a young guy. He's obviously done it in the Championship and, and scored goals for fun down there. Um, but obviously the Premier League is another level. You get less time on the ball, you get less space. Chances are uh, come to you less less frequently than they would in the Championship. You know defenders will probably be better. Um, and so and so he did struggle at first, um, maybe weighed down by the price tag or the expectation or the pressure. Um, but he really came into his own uh, post-Project uh, Restart towards the end of last season. Um, and and he was really getting on for matching Danny Ings for goals, which was really encouraging sign for Southampton. And obviously they've got a lot of competition up front, you know, likes of Michael Obafemi and Shane Long and Dan and Lindulu who came on at the weekend. Um, so they've got lots of numbers there, and, and but he seems to have nailed down the spot next to Danny Ings. And if Southampton can get him performing at anywhere near the level that Ings performed at last season and almost won the Golden Boot, then they'll be
0: absolutely delighted and Adams will have a, a lot of goals. So Matthew, it was another game for Everton They ended with 10 men for them. So do you think Lucas Dean should have been sent off for his challenge on Carl Walker-Peter's? With that said, is uh, there is there a mitigating circumstance where it's a slip and not really malice but still looks nasty all the same? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I personally come under because I know Gary Lineker tweeted about it uh, in the aftermath. I can't remember what he exactly like said. You can't, you know, have a clash of legs or something like that. It was worded along those lines. I think that's what it I think that's what it was. And we talked about the Kamara thing earlier. I think if the Kamara sending off had stayed a booking. I think that the Dina one probably would have been a booking as well. But I just think the precedent was set there. I didn't think, you know, there wasn't much malice or anything. It was just, it, again, similar to Kamara. There wasn't a lot in it for me. And if it had been a yellow personally, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. So Max,
0: that's two weeks in a row now that Everton have seen a man sent off. And don't forget, there's all things Pickford on Van Dyke. We shouldn't forget that either. So, are they in danger now being labelled a dirty team? Does Ancelotti need to have a word, or if he does have a word, do they start to lose their early edge? Um,
1: that's that's an interesting one. I don't know if if Ancelotti has has got a problem. Um, there is maybe a little theme of players being sent off, and obviously Pickford missed out on one the other week. Um, players like you know Pickford and Mina and gomez and alan definitely have a little bit of a of a physical edge and you know that that strong competitiveness but you need that in the premier league um i also uh mainly agreed with ancelotti when he was talking about um when he was talking about the the dina incident potentially being a reaction to the to pitford not being sent off for the van dyke incident now ancelotti went way over the top when he was talking about dina's red card being a joke and this and that um, but, I do think there is something in what he was saying about the you know the outpouring of grief and scorn and fury um, about pickford's about pickford 's tackle on van dyke and don 't get me wrong, it should have been a red he should be banned. it should have been a red um, but I think the fact that it was on virgil van dyke who 's liverpool 's golden boy and you know the title holder 's key player and all of that I think that has overblown it a little bit out of proportion. Um, especially because Liverpool fans are maybe never, never having the 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 right sense of proportion. In any case, they could be accused of that. Um, so, so in that in that instance, I do think that it that, that made there was maybe a reaction from the from the referees thinking, right, we can't be seen to doing that again. We need to clamp down. The next time there's a you know potentially fifty-fifty tackle from an Everton player, we need to show that we're we need to show that we're not going to make the same mistake again.
0: Uh, Matthew, talking of early edge, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was rather blunt at St Mary's. Now, is that more of a case of a simple day off for him? Or have Southampton identified how to keep him quiet and that blueprint can be rolled out to the rest of the division?
3: I, th- I, think, it's a co- I think it's a combination of factors. You know, as I said earlier, I think Everton are starting to get back to where they, you know, back to where they were last season. And, be, and it being a normal result. I think that's sort of the same. Everyone's started to work out. Sim, to Hamas Rodriguez, who didn't exact, he wasn't exactly the greatest performance from him, it, it was okay, but not what we've seen the first couple of weeks, what everyone's saying is the greatest foreign import of all time sort of thing. Um, now that people are starting to work out how to play Everton, it's all starting to roll into one. So I think Calvin Lewin is probably one of the benef not, not benefactors, detractors of that. Um, so, I don't think, he, I think he will still have a very good season, but I don't think we'll see, what was it, like six goals in five games to start the season. I don't think we're going to see him going through any sort of runs like that, carrying on forward. I would also like to say maybe it's because the fact that I withheld Kazoo last time yes. I was out is the, the, the sort of curse from it. So <laughs> um, we'll, we'll just, we'll, let's test this theory out. Dominic Calvin Lewin. <laughs> there you go. There's the kazoo. If he scores this weekend, you know it's on me.
2: <laughs> this is pod magic. This pod is magic. this
0: is pod gold. This is exactly what the shareholders want, and they also—it's very
3: much the reverse of your kiss of death from last season. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Strange things happen on this show, and also stitch Cole back into the show. He's running late, but he's here now. So, Cole, your first question is that a defeat for Everton sees Liverpool move up to the same points in the table. So they had to win the hard way. Do you think their change of shape on Saturday made life harder than it needed to be?
2: Yeah, I guess obviously the Van Dijk injury has possibly given them a slight headache, isn't it? That they want to they want to just try and maybe see how they can kind of get past or get over that that injury to one of their key players. Um, it it probably caused them a slight issue because in truth, Sheffield United were very unlucky, weren't they? In the end, to come away with nothing from that game. Um, And I think this is where we might see Liverpool just kind of, you know, get themselves over the line a few times this season with Van Dijkert. You know, I think they're going to be very concerned about how they can be at the back. Um, I don't think there's any problems with them going forward. Um, but I think we've already seen from the way the games are going, I don't think this will be a romp like last season as such, where you, you know you get the impression they could go deep into the season where they'll be unbeaten. I think this is going to be a bit of a topsy-turvy season. And you know some teams will play well in patches. And I think Liverpool will be one of those teams that they, they might not ever always play well but they'll probably just have enough to get some results over the line, a bit like this weekend. But we have seen, I think, from this game at the weekend, if you take Van Dijk out of that side, then I think Liverpool are a little bit easier to get at and possibly, you know... A lot more teams won't fear him as much as they would have with him in the side. So Sheffield United were unlucky. But, yeah, I think Liverpool just tinkered and it might have just knocked them out of their stride a little bit.
0: Yes, of course. They've passed the first post-Van Dijk test, shall we say, but there's going to be many more to come. So, also, there's going to be a lot tougher opposition. And, Matthew, the biggest talking point from that game was the penalty that Fabinho ended up giving away. Now, he has been drafted into centre-back, something you'll probably see for quite a while now. With him being the guilty party, the question is, was it really inside the box?
3: I think this is going to be one of those grime, even though I've said in previous weeks that us fans have to know the rules. I think this is going to be one where I'm actually going to have to uh, play ignorant here. I'm not 100% sure what the ruling of the thing is because Ollie McBurney had a foot on the line. So I don't know if this is a case of, you you know, in any and all situations if it happens on the line, then that means it's in the box sort of thing. If that's the case, that's my then belief. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Yeah. Similar to like the whole of the ball has to be over the whole yes. of the line. As so long as you have some of your foot on the line, then it. if that is indeed the rule, then it was absolute, then it was absolutely a penalty. I don't think there could be any, any doubts about it, but what should be noted is the fact that the referee, whose name is escaping me right now, um, uh, Mike Dean. gave a free Mike. Oh, oh, Mike Dean, obviously on a Saturday night, <laughs> obviously, um, Mike Dean uh, gave the free kick initially and then went to VAR to sort of prove it. This is one of the cases where VAR got it right. But no one seems to be talking about that because everyone's talking about every other decision. But VAR got it right. Let's just brush brush that under the carpet. No one needs to talk about that.
0: So, Max, the tough start for Sheffield United continues. They picked up just one point across their last nine matches when you look at the end of last season and this. So why can't Chris Wilder's men find the same levels as the main part of last season?
1: Well, we saw last season that their 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 fantastic rise up the table you know from the championship and finishing almost in europe it was it was hugely based on their their solid defense and they 've lost a couple of key members of it they 've obviously lost Dean Henderson who's on loan from man united he 's now returned to Old Trafford back to his parent club and Aaron Ramsdale is a decent replacement you know he 's a good young keeper he 's got potential um but he 's not dean henderson he's not at the same level um and they've also lost jack o'connell and jack o'connell is it's a is, is a really big part of is a really big part of how they play obviously i didn't realize it was going to be such a such a huge loss for them when he got injured but they've really really struggled to make it work and th- they've supplemented their defensive numbers you know they signed the two uh wing backs from derby they signed um Bogle and max Lowe. And, and they they haven't quite figured out exactly how they're going to do it. You know, they tried Jack Robinson um, at left-centre-back. Now they're moving Ender Stevens, who's usually a left-wing back. They moved him back to left-centre-back and put the young kid, um, uh, Max Lowe, at left-wing back. And then he went off and they had to try Ben Osborne at left-wing back, who's normally a centre-midfielder. So they haven't quite figured out the right balance in defence. And also w- with... Most people are forgetting that Henderson last season, that they conceded a fair amount of shots, Sheffield United, but the ones that did get through,
0: Henderson was able to repel and Ramsdale hasn't been quite able to to replicate that so far. Then again, when we talk about same levels, I think we can apply that same statement to Manchester City, Carl, because the sight of Sergio Aguero coming off again injured is not something that Pep Guardiola will have wanted to see last Saturday lunchtime.
2: No, definitely. I, I mean, he is a massive loss for for City because you know I think I said it last season. You know, for me, Gabriel Jesus isn't going to be a good enough backup who can come in and fill the void. Um, and when Aguero's in that side, they look a completely different animal. Without him, they kind of look a little bit timid up front. Um, you know, it's okay if you've got like, Sterling on form, uh, Mares playing well, but if they're not quite hitting it then once Aguero's not in that side, then I think City really struggle for goals. Um, I am surprised that they're not potentially more seriously in the market for another striker because, you know, Aguero is obviously, you know, the the clock is ticking as such on how much longer he's got left in the tank there. Um, And I I think City will now really need to start turning their attention to finding themselves a new focal man up front who possibly stays a little bit more injury-free and is obviously the future for them going forward as their main main, main striker. Because I just don't think the players they've got um, can cut it if he's not in the side. And as we're already seeing, it looks like now his body is starting to kind of, you know, ache and pain a little bit. And he's going to miss more and more games. So City, I think, without him have really got problems. And I think they will come January. They might need to look at bolstering that squad if they can with a new striker.
0: Absolutely. Like you say, he's just getting to that age now where the niggles are starting to stack up that little bit more which then creates more minutes away from the pitch and City can't really afford that. You know, Jesus is decent but he's not going to drive you himself to a Premier League title. And Matthew, when you consider City's transfer business this summer they've looked at more defensive names. Now, you could argue they needed them but in making their squad more rounded have they lost a bit of bite at the sharper end of the pitch, shall we say?
3: Yeah, they did. yeah, it's been one of the criticisms for Pep Guardiola uh the past couple is that he hasn't really sought out the defence and he hasn't quite been able to work it out. That's why the likes of Fernandinho have had to be you know, dropped into centre-back because likes of Stones have had, have had his problems and Laporte is always in and out of the team. Same with Otamendi. Whereas now he looks to have fixed it with you know, Nathan Ake. It's still not quite there. And yeah, it has... Probably affect because you know with the spending that they have, they were probably going to rely on Sergio Aguero. So they thought, let's fix the defense. We can't really afford to spend a lot more on on the attack. So we're going to have to rely on Sergio Aguero, and it's and it's come to bite them. You know what they do in January. It's going to be interesting because I can't imagine there being much of a much of a market for any any big names, as it were. Um. So what? So this is really going to have to come down on. The greatest coach in the world, as he has so proclaimed, Pep Guardiola, to have to coach up and you know make the rest of the team, the you know the rest of the forwards that they have better. I think a lot of workloads going to have to fall on the likes of Raheem Sterling to get a lot of goals. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, you know, as Carl mentioned, not great. He's going to have to step up, and yeah, you know, a bit of a bit of a long shot, but it seems he's getting a couple of minutes now. Uh, Liam, De, is it Liam Delap, Rory Delap's son, yep. playing up front for them? I. I I would not be surprised if he starts getting a couple more minutes and he's probably going to have to chip in with a couple of goals going forward as well.
0: So, Max, when we look at Saturday, I guess we've got to give more credit to West Ham because not only for Saturday's performance, but after losing their first two league matches, I think everyone, even us on this show, are guilty of saying, well, that's it, they're doomed for the next six, eight. You know, they're going to get nothing. But result after result, they're making a mockery of that statement and I guess more power to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, f- completely fair play to them because everyone saw their their kind of early losses, their couple of early losses, and then also saw their their horrendous run of fixtures, which by the way is about to start turning and they're going to start getting the the generally easier games um, and it would be really interesting to see how they do there. So everyone lo- was looked at their early losses and fixtures and thought, yeah, as, as you say, they're they're going to really struggle, they're doomed, they're down already. I think early on in the Premier League season, we like to fans like to proclaim which teams are definitely going to be down and and often it doesn't often it doesn't quite turn out that way because yeah they've shown a lot of a lot of bottle and a lot of fight, and I thought they were very, very good value for their for their point and for their draw against man City um you know it wasn't a complete smash and grab, and what a fantastically well taken goal as well, so yeah, fair play to them.
0: Cole, I know you're a big fan of Mikael Antonio. You've sung his praises many times. both he spoke here on social media. So what would you like to say about that goal on Saturday?
2: Yeah, for me, he is a real handful. And, you know, I think if Spurs, you know, if in the summer it had been Spurs were being linked with Antonio to come in as a you know, backup striker for Kane or, you know, second striker, I would have been, you know, more than happy. He's strong. He's quick. Um, And he is just a major handful. And he does score some really good goals, you know. Remember the first goal he scored to beat us at our place, you know, over the top, was onto it quick, great half volley, in power, keeper, no chance. And his finish this weekend was just, again, another finish of just confidence and a player who he is in a really good streak. You know, he was at the end of last season after the restart. Um, You know, you could say that his goals and his performances were one of the main reasons around West Ham not being in bigger trouble than they were coming the end of last season. And he's kind of hit the ground running again this season. I'd be only slightly worried if I was West Ham now if he was to get, become injured because obviously, you know, I think he is their real key focal point and the one player that I think actually worries a lot of defences. So I think they're desperate to keep him fit. But I tell you now, he is playing really well. And, you know, he, he could be, you know, if he carries on like this, I wouldn't be surprised there's a few bigger clubs looking to eye him up for next season, possibly.
0: Then again, Matthew, I think credit must also go to Lucas Fabianski for his performance on Saturday. A string of saves, especially at the end, and especially as Andre Yarmolenko was doing his best to set up a, a late City winner.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think Lucas Fabianski's come under a lot of stick from... Uh, West Ham. Fact, he came in for a lot of it last season because he had that horror game at uh, Anfield, where I think he basically gave Liverpool two goals in that in that game. So yeah, it's it's good to see, it's good to see that he's come come back for it. And he's always been a, he's always been a very good goalkeeper. You know, never quite you know world class or you know the kind that you put in the top top tier of Premier League goalkeepers. But he's always been a very reliable one. and It's good to see that he's come you know back into form form in that sense. And Max, of course,
0: West Ham would have to make do with a well-earned point after Phil Foley came off the bench and got City's equaliser. So everyone sings his praises, there's no doubt about that. But how good is he really? I'm not saying I don't see it, but maybe a lack of opportunities don't allow me to see it. So when does he really make a City start his own every week? Well, I mean, arguably he's done that so
1: far. I think he's missed one game uh, so far this season or something like that. But I, I do, I do really like him and... And particularly given they've had a couple of injuries in the attacking areas, uh, for example, with um, Aguero and Jesus out, they've had to go with uh, Sterling up front, which frees a, a, a spot on the wing where Phone where has been playing uh, often. And uh, I think he is—he is definitely good enough to—he's definitely good enough to have a starting spot at Man City, even at the tender age he is. And um, and, and I look forward to seeing him there more often. But yeah, I mean, I think he—I think he's only missed a couple of games. I don't think he's missed many. How many has he he missed? I mean, he started he started four games out of out of five so far, or six. Four games, four five games out of six. Um. So I'm I'll be interested to see what the others think. But um. Yeah, I, I think he's he started a fair
0: amount and he's and he's making that place his own. Okay, let's throw it open to the others for some Foden chat then. Carl, is this what we can hopefully consider for him and for England a breakout season?
2: I think so, yeah. And I think it needed to be. You know, I think he was going to reach the point with City where it was either, you know, I need to start playing regularly now and, and getting regular football. Or if not, I might need to start thinking about, you know, do I go somewhere else so that I can get, you know, a regular start in place and the game times that will allow me to kind of break out and show the talent I've got. I think he's had, you know, when he's played for City, I think he's done really well. So I can actually see him starting to get more and more games this season. And then I think, you know, we'd we'll definitely see from next season on, you know, they, they may kind of sort of build their midfield around him. But he's done everything he can when he does play, you know, scores goals. He's a good passer of a football. He seems to have, you know, good energy, can get up and down. So I, I do think this will be the season where he kind of starts getting regular football. Um, and I think he needed to, because I say it was, again, he could have become in danger of being one of those players that we're always talking about, but never getting regular football. I think this year he will. But I've been impressed with him so far. So, Matthew, is the
0: end game England building their midfield around Phil Foden, and does that happen this summer?
3: I think it, I think it does. I just want to you know, echo what Carl said. You know, I've been hearing a lot about. You know, I say I, we, societal have been hearing a lot about Phil Foden for years. I remember him getting a lot of praise. When did Man City beat Arsenal in the League Cup? Was it 2019 that season? So you're looking at you know going back two seasons almost that he's been coming on for like these cameo appearances, last ten minutes, you know, cup games against Burton Albion and all that sort of stuff. We've been waiting for this to happen. And I think now with David Silver moving out, it was basically inevitable that Phil Foden was gonna to have to fill that spot in the centre midfield. And the fact that he's going to be playing with you know world class players, at Manchester City could only benefit the England squad in a in a monumental and catastrophic way for me <laughs> thinking about it as a Wales fan because I it's it's written in I said it's written in the stars the Foden and Greenwood are going to be the ones to connect for the winning goal uh, at Wembley next summer and it'll be you know zeros to heroes from the whole Iceland instead and I think Phil Foden does have the talent. Um, to really be the guiding light for England. God, I, I hate myself saying this, <laughs> to be the guiding light for England for the next 10 to 15 years. I, I'm not, I, do, I, do, I do hate to say because I do like him. I've just always, just, I have just I've was just never a fan of the way that Pep Guardiola managed him because he was this great talent, but he never got on the pitch. Now he's got on the pitch, his talent is blossoming, and it's going to be painful for me because I know what's coming down the line.
0: Well, I guess, Max, there's a, a sense of master plan in all of this, with Phil Foden, in that... You know, not to point fingers at Chelsea, but he's probably at the right club with the right manager to go through this progressive curve of his career. Because if he was at Chelsea, he becomes just a name, which is farmed out to Vitesse Arnhem and maybe Swansea or somewhere. You know, you get the idea. So, at least with Guardiola, there's much more of a watch to why. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And um, I'm actually really pleased for
1: him that he's he, he's managed to get to a club where, where he's given the opportunity. Because you're right, at Chelsea... It, you talk about the, the kind of talent that they've got in that midfield. It's so congested. You know, someone like Billy Gilmore, who looked quite good last season oh, when yeah. he was given the odd couple of chances, he's going to be nowhere near the Chelsea squad, let alone team now. Um, and obviously, Jaden Sancho left Man City for Dortmund in, in search of better opportunities. And that's proven to be uh, a good move, given given how his career has gone. But Foden uh, decided to stay. And I'm, I'm really pleased for him that he's managed to get... Um, He's managed to get some chances and obviously, although this wouldn't have happened uh, unless Aguero and Jesus were injured, um, people like Liam Delap, who's who's already been mentioned, I think he scored in the League Cup or he scored in one of City's earlier games this season and he's getting a couple of chances. Um, obviously, Eric Garcia is coming through young, young kid, and, and getting a chance as well, even if he might be off to Barcelona at the end of the season. So Guardiola has shown that unlike other managers, he is willing to give young players a chance. Um,
0: Mikel Arteta at Arsenal strikes me as another example. Well, you mentioned Arteta. We're going to Arsenal next because, Carl, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is turning into Mesut Ozil mark II, And I mean that in the sense of get your new contract, get your feet under the table, and life's pretty easy from here on in. He's really going
2: off the boil quite quickly. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? You know, the performances have dropped a little bit since that new contract has come in. Um, I think the pre- the game previous, what I found really worrying from him was actually the lack of kind of what, what seemed like enthusiasm and effort to get in the game. Um, and it just seemed like the game kind of passed him by. Um, and again, you wouldn't have said this, you know, the game against Leicester was any real different. You know, did he have a big impact on it? Not really. Um, Should he have had a better impact? Yes, he should have done. Um, So I do think, you know, he is a great player for them and he'll score goals all season long. But as you say, they do want to make sure that he gets back in the sort of form he was before that new contract. Because, you know, the last couple of performances we've seen have been, you know, quite woeful, really, from his standards. Um, And that's kind of affected Arsenal in a way because I think they're kind of relying on him quite heavily for their goals. Um, And as you say, if he dries up or his form dips then Arsenal could really be in trouble for some goals themselves.
0: I'll stay with you, Carl, because it seems that Mikel Arteta is invoking the spirit of George Graham at the moment. As you say, the football is just, you know, one-note, lacklustre.
2: It's not quite the, the Arsenal that you'd imagine or expect to see. Yeah, it's not for, you know, one thing we've always been able to say about Arsenal over the years, you know, they've obviously, as we all know, got their defensive frailties. But, but going forward and playing football, that they, they can and always have been able to play some really nice stuff and some entertaining football. Um and I say the last couple of outings from them, they have been really tepid and, you know, not much going for them. You know, no real creativity, uh, no real pace or danger. And you kind of get, you know, it's like hitting someone with feather gloves, have not they? You know, there's no real danger that they're going to be able to give you the knockout blow. Um, and as you say, I think that they will need to snap out of that very quickly. Because as we know, that is a club where once once results don't go your way... Um, it all starts turning a little bit toxic very quickly. Um, you know, you've only got to see your timeline to see you know the fan bloods doing their stuff at the weekend. And you know you wouldn't fancy facing that every week. So I've been surprised the way they've played because they weren't playing that badly before. So something's gone on there because, as I say, they have been very, very weak and poor the last two performances.
0: Matthew, going back to Aubameyang, is it a simple case of square peg round hole? Because there's a nice problem to have when you've got Lacazette and a Bamiang, but him being utilised as a wide forward at the moment is that really getting the best out of him?
3: Um, no, I don't think it is because I think he's always sort of been, you know, a bit of a poacher as it were in and around the box, and you don't want him to be creating chances. You want him to be on the receiving end, and this you know, really does come back to the you know, the Meza Urzu situation. You know, Arsenal are are they they are lacking that creative midfield that can, Get the opportunities to the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang, but without them, it's just it's just futile at the moment. And having to force Aubameyang out wide isn't getting the best out of him. And as a result, you know, you're seeing what you're seeing what's happening on the pitch at Arsenal at the moment. And Matthew,
0: staying with you, the most contentious issue of the game would have been the disallowed goal in the first half for Arsenal. Two players offside, one of them sort of in the goalkeeper's line of sight. So, was the right decision
3: made there to scrap out the goal? Um, I th- I I think I think it is. I th- it's again, it's one of these things. Only Peter, oh, not Peter Kasper Schmeichel will, will know if the <laughs> likes of X- Xhaka and whoever the other one was um, was you know properly you know interfering with it, with his line of vision and all that sort of stuff. But you know, given the way the rules are, you know. It's, it it what the, the players were offside. I don't think there can be any disputing that bit. It's whether or not they were involved. You can you can you can see it either way. But I'm not gonna am not gonna complain that that it was disallowed. I think there was I think there was enough reason to, 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 to chalk it off.
0: I think Abamiang was offside, but not really interfering with the goalkeeper. Shaka in the line of sight. And if you took the Real Madrid the next game as a famous reference from days before, Real Madrid had an equalizer scrapped minutes from the end because of exactly that. So I think if you're sort of using that as a comparison. You can see why that goal was also chalked off. However, Max, not the goal chalked off at the very end. Jamie Vardy, come off the bench. Harvey Barnes quite ineffective in that sort of top of the centre role. Not his usual role, but obviously injuries meant he had to play there. Bring on Vardy. It all changes. Leicester changed as soon as he came on. And what a change he made. Yeah, yeah. He's just a fantastic player.
1: And he's got a really, really good record against Arsenal as well. They must have been um, bricking it when they saw him coming off the bench. Um, but a lot of that goal comes down to the other sub who not many people are talking about, which is uh, Sengiz Under. I really hope I've pronounced that correctly. If anyone uh, who speaks Turkish wants to correct me, then, then, I then feel, feel free. I think i will be all right
0: Max. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, he, he, he had a decent impact as well. And he was put in a really, really good position. And he could have shot. He, he was entitled to take the shot fr- from the position he was in. But he was really unselfish. Um, squared it to Vardy. And you see that a lot actually. You see a lot of players go through on goal and lose their head and you know swipe it over wildly or take a shot on when the keeper's closing them down and the teammate's in a better position. And when you're watching it from the sidelines or on TV or whatever, you, you think, oh, it must be obvious to a player um, that, that you're aware of someone who's in a better position than you. But often it isn't, even, even for attackers. And so it was really good uh, awareness and, and unselfishness from under to set up Vardy, um, but yeah, goodness me, what a pheno- what a phenom- what a phenomenon! Easy for me to say, uh, Jamie Vardy is, um, and if he's in that kind of goal-scoring form, um, in. Over, over the rest of the Premier League season, uh, maybe Gareth Southgate will want to try and persuade him to come out of international retirement as well. Although... <laughs> <they're> <laughs> up front. <laughs> With uh, Dominic
0: calvert lewin as well. <laughs> I knew that was coming, but it's still funny all the same. So there might be a call for another kazoo in a moment, but probably not because we don't overdo the kazoo, but we'll get to that question in a bit. So, Carl, Aston Villa, they are... Uh, where are they? They're one place behind Leicester in the league, both on 12 points. Their perfect start season came to an end. Now, that's not the biggest shock, but I think a 3-0 reverse at home probably is.
2: Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I think we, you know, I wouldn't say we were all waiting for this, were we? Because, you know, you're sitting there looking at their start gamble. well, wow, what a start considering the way they finished last season. Um, but they've been looking good. Um, and I must admit, I didn't see a 3-0 reverse on that one. You know, you kind of thought Leeds can play some good football. Um, And, you know, you maybe wouldn't have been surprised if it had been nicked 1-0 or 2-1. I certainly didn't see Leeds making it as comfortable as they did. Um, And I just think it was one of those, wasn't it? You know, Villa just weren't as good as they'd been the first few games. They didn't seem to click as well as they they should have done. Um, You know, Leeds, I think, did reasonably well at keeping Grealish sort of quiet. And I think, you know, more teams will look that if you can keep Grealish quiet, you possibly keep Villa slightly quiet. Um, but I think you know Leeds played well, but Villa, I think will be disappointed because you know if that 's away from home i don 't think it you know I, although it 's you know the loss would have hurt them. I think they 'll sit there and go well okay yeah, away from home, anything can happen in this league. I think they 'll just be slightly disappointed that that performance came at home, especially considering that you know the performance before that at home was the Liverpool game, and you know they would like to have built on that and made sure Villa Park was becoming a bit of a fortress so you know, I wouldn't say we're surprised because I think we probably all were expecting it to come to an end. I just didn't see that being the game where it would. I thought they probably would have a bit too much for Leeds and given their form. So, yeah, poor performance from them, but one that they now just have to reset and make sure that, well, OK, if you know one game in every six is a bad game, that won't be too bad and that should see us comfortably safe by the end of this season. So, Matthew, Patrick Bamford has always
0: had his doubters when he tries to make the transition from the Championship to the Premier League. Can he do it? You know, then he gets farmed out on another loan move and people say, oh, he's never going to get to that level. He's making a mockery of that statement. You know, he's really turning some heads at the moment. A hat-trick at Villa Park. I think that's his first ever one in the Premier League. He's finally coming of age, isn't
3: he? Yes, absolutely. And I think if anyone if, if anyone paid attention to the championship last season, it was literally a case of Patrick Bamford because I think he still got something like fifteen goals last season, but it was the fact that it took him so many chances in order to get you know whereas most whereas most you know good strikers would take probably forty chances to get fifteen goals. Bamford was taking like a hundred or so he was missing plenty and didn 't have the conversion rate but now I think after a year two years now under the Marcelo Bielsa system. And now that he's got a bit more high quality of player working with him now than when he, when, when, he first started at Leeds, for instance, I think now it's just all come to fruition. Now that it's now, now that he's a lot more comfortable in the season. And he is starting to make a lot of, he is starting to make a lot of people, as you say, look foolish. And I just want to touch on what Carl was saying. I honestly wasn't that shocked that the result came the way it is. I think I, no, Leeds have tried to sort of announce themselves to the league with you no know, with their performance uh, at Anfield on the first day of the season. I think now, given the start that Aston Villa had, if everyone isn't paying attention to Leeds and what they're doing now, I think they are now. They can real they can be a real force in this division. And I said I said that they were going to be comfortably safe. I honestly would not be surprised if they can crack the top half and even make a runner make a runner a Wolves style European. Uh, Space when they when they came up and finished seventh, I honestly wouldn't put it past them. This is going to be the next
0: point to Max actually, because I know we shouldn't read too much into the table at this early stage, and with results, you know, being as they are, but you still got to earn points regardless. And um, will Marso Bielsa be happy with sixth place, or no, Marcel Bielsa, will he actually be a little bit disappointed at the same time? I think I think you hear the nail on the head with uh, with the second half
1: of your of your question there, because you would think on the face of it that bielsa will be very happy with the performances so far you know they they took liverpool a long long way in the in the in the first game of the season you know they they really really pushed them all the way um and and they obviously trounced villa um who were top of the table and unbeaten very comfortably um but the point is with bielsa is that he's such a he's such a stickler um, and he's got such high standards that he isn't going to allow them to rest on their laurels and think, oh, yeah, you know, we've started the season pretty well. We've been competitive. Yeah, you know, we'll probably stay up this season. That is just absolutely not how he works. And he's going to be keen for them to to continue to build and improve and work as hard or even harder than they have so far. And if that does happen and Bamford keeps, keeps scoring the goals, which is not something I predicted, given how absolutely pants he was for Crystal Palace on loan a couple of years back. Um, And if Bamford keeps scoring, they've got a really good chance of um, doing a Wolves and getting a European slot or doing a Sheffield United and, and, you know, coming comfortably top half because they they look a really good side. And imagine how much better they're going to be when they've got the the kind of partisan, febrile Leeds crowd behind
0: them as well in person. Absolutely. You know, I think the Premier League has already been warned. So, you know, dare I say, they're only going to get better, which is a worry for those teams in and around... The top four, top six. Right, let's mop up the rest of the Premier League. There's still a little bit of admin still to do. So, Carl, I'll give you Old Trafford. Not the best game. Far from it, actually. But from a Chelsea point of view, it certainly makes a difference when you've got a confident keeper at the back of the team.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, as you say, Dan, it was a bit of a snore fest, wasn't it? For the sort of hype that that sort of game gets. Um, but as you say... The confidence and the way the keeper played, and some of the saves he pulled off, especially the Rashford one near the end um, brilliant save I'd, he probably would have needed that as well again, a confidence boost it lets his team know that actually, yeah, look this, and this is going to be a good goalkeeper we've got behind us now, and that sort of thing just spreads confidence throughout the team, so yeah that that'll be a really good you know shining light for Chelsea to come away and like I say from a game that really was just a bit of a damp squid and didn't live up to the expectation and obviously I'm sure we're going to say you know Chelsea will feel massively aggrieved by the fact that you know the WWE RKO (laughs) wasn't wasn't given um, as it should have been uh, because that that was a disgraceful decision how that doesn't get um, you know, reviewed and turned into a penalty because I don't know what more you've got to do to give a penalty away when jumping with someone.
0: Oh, it's ludicrous. And that, do you know what? That was the exact image I had in my mind. If I was more graphically tuned, I would have tried to have made that picture because it's exactly <laughs> just, just an RKO. you fit the nail absolutely on the head, Carl. Um, where should we go next? Let's go to Molyneux, Matthew, because Wolves, Newcastle, played out a 1-1 draw. I think really two points dropped for the hosts.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, yeah, very much so. Now I talked about earlier about you know results getting back to normal. Um, this is just one of those results where it was back to normal because you would expect uh, Wolves to have just run over completely Newcastle. Um, but yeah, I think I think this I think this is more of a, more of a credit to Steve Bruce or sort of things. I know he's had a lot of detractors and a lot of you know anti Bruce sentiment as were. Well. But I think once he once he gets to once he properly gets into this squad and the fact he can line them up uh, to frustrate teams as he has done over over the years with his previous teams if he if you want someone to grind out a result Steve Bruce will do that so and whilst he may say two points drop I think it may also be a case of one point very very well earned from Newcastle oh, of course yeah give Newcastle credit as well I mean if they can
0: go across the whole season By only losing, what, a third of their matches if you took this current six-match sample and extrapolated that across the season, they stay up and it's job done. So, yeah, I think credit has to go to Newcastle as well. Max, another draw. Brighton-West Brom. On the face of that, is that a better point for the Baggies than it is the Seagulls? Yeah, I think so. I think so.
1: Brighton were obviously at home. Um, you know they dominated a lot of the possession as they often do. To be fair, you know they dominate the possession against Palace as well. But but even though they've got on the, on paper a quite quite a, quite a nice front three in Leandro Trossard and Adam Lallana and Neil Maupay, um they they've been struggling struggling to be clinical, and that that continued against West Brom. And um, obviously, as a Palace fan, I was really pleased to see um, West Brom get the equaliser at the end through Carlin Grant with his first uh, Premier League goal, goal in his debut, I believe. Um, and to be honest, it, it was a really good point for for the baggies, especially considering the context in which it came. In that they sold uh, Ahmed Hagazi, the the Egyptian centre back who started the last game, uh, if 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 um if I remember correctly. And Billich, this is mad. Billich came out and was saying he, he was he was angry about about uh, Higazi being sold and it was being done behind his back and it wasn't his choice and you know, he'd thought Higazi was part of his squad and given all that turmoil and, and, and the the seeming infighting uh, behind the scenes, which you wouldn't expect Slam Village to, to be um particularly sympathetic towards, it was it was a really good point because, you know, Brighton have aspirations to be to be a much a mu- uh, a much better Premier League team and, and higher up the table, but they've struggled so far this season. Uh, nonetheless, as I say, a, a really good point for, for West Brom, and, and considering how late it came, it will, it's a better point for them than it is for Brighton.
0: I think the way the Premier League table is shaping up, I think the bottom five will be the bottom five. I know the points margins aren't that much at the moment, but we're just seeing a little bit of a sort of the haves and the, the have nots. I think that's probably going to be the quintet that are struggling to stay up come the end of the season, and in that quintet, Burnley so from a Spurs point of view I'm going to keep my powder dry because me and Cole will be catching up in a few hours to do a new Spurs pod so if you want to listen to Spurs sort of slightly that listen to that one but Burnley we've got about four or five minutes so let's focus on them because we haven't really touched them this season so apologies to any Burnley fans out there but Cole a bad start for them again now when you look at it from what was it two seasons ago when they were in the Europa League that was the reason for yeah. a bad start yeah.
2: now they haven't got that excuse so where's it gone wrong for them? Yeah, I think, you know, Burnley, you know, they've had, they've been unfortunate this season, you know, they've played reasonably well, just haven't got the results that they probably some of their performances should have done. But again, in this league, you know, you can't cry about that. It's a results business. Um, They've obviously got a reasonable squad, but they're not able to invest, you know, millions and bring in star names. They probably need, you know, they're going to need to be a little bit more ruthless going forward because last night, you know, that you know they had some good chances, even though they didn't have a lot of the ball. They looked the more threatening, and as I say, at a certain point in the second half, they they actually looked like they could be the team that nicked the result. Um, again, got a little bit sloppy from the corner, um, but I don't think they're playing bad, and I think they will get it together enough where suddenly the results will come. They'll see themselves kind of mid-table, but again, I think they are going to look to see where where do they see themselves going in, say, a couple more years. Dice is doing a brilliant job right now, but how long can you do that before suddenly the wheels start to fall off and you do start to go backwards? But they haven't played badly. I think they just need to be a little bit more ruthless when they do get their chances.
0: Matthew, has a case of investment or lack thereof, shall we say, in the summer starting to be their downfall?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I... Yeah, touching on, touch on what Carl said, I think we said for a couple of years, you know, going back, Wigan were more or less in the same situation. There's only really so much a team like them can do without the, the money and everything like that. Bournemouth you can more or less make the same mistake, uh, make, make the same uh, argument rather last year that eventually, I think that this is now just Burnley's time, I think. as a, There is only so far that you can go without, you know, properly, properly buying into a squad and trusting Sean Dyche to, you know, pull the the miracle is he always has, and I think this is just—it's it, just—it's just finally caught up with them. I, you know, I don't want that to be the case. Because I do like Sean Dyche, and I do think he will be the next thing, the manager after Gareth. Say, like, oh, hang <laughs> on—I suppose that means <laughs> um, he will get the um, job when Gareth Southgate retires or leaves <laughs> or whatever the thing is. So I don't want—I don't want—I don't wish harm on Sean Dyche or anything like that. But I just think the the, ti- the time—the natu- time has naturally come for for a squad like Bernie to just just go out gracefully. Matthew, I think you're
0: allowed a maximum of two kazoos per episode. I think we need to ration them so we don't undervalue the kazoos. You still
3: laugh, don't you? That is true,
0: that is true. (laughs) But anyway, Max, Sean Deitch is a name which is sometimes linked with Crystal Palace. So if we look into our Crystal Ball, we'll take a bit of a leap of faith here. Let's say Burnley do go down and Roy finally calls time on his lengthy career. Is Deitch the next man to come into Selhurst Park? Uh, well, not to preempt the the Sean Dyche kazoo,
1: but I think he could be. I think he honestly could be because he, he's a Londoner. He obviously played for Watford in his in his playing career. Um, he is he, he's playing a similar style of play at Burnley as he is at Crystal Palace. You know, the low block, um, looking to counter attack teams, soak up pressure, not have much possession, um, and so he, he's kind of for me, he's the best. He, he's the best manager that that we could realistically get given how good he is at working with a squad on a tight budget and, you know, often with with um, not many options in his squad, making the most of the players he has, um, developing players he signs. For example, James Tarkovsky was signed from Oldham and is now an England international. You know, he, he's got a real record of improving players, giving young players a chance as well, players like Dwight McNeil, Um, and and, and things like that. And Jimmy Dunn, centre-back earlier this season. So with Palace's history of trying to develop youth players, I think he'd be a really, really good fit for us and I'd be delighted if we got him.
0: Right, that is the end of the show. We're just on the nose of about an hour. So well done, chaps. We squeezed everything in. I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my great guests as per usual. So Max, thank you for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, very much, very much. I'm hoping for a kazoo-filled episode next week as well. Yes, on that note, thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you very much, always a pleasure. Cheers, mate. And, Cole, the captain's armband, but I'm going to have to
2: fine you £20 wages for your late um, appearance this afternoon. Oh, I think, I, I think that uh, you're letting me off lightly there, Dan. So I uh, really enjoyed this one when, when I made it. Um, you know, the Ferrari wouldn't start. <laughs> um, but, yeah. We'll be back next week,
0: (laughs) all in good time. Top man, yeah, as long as you're back next week, that'll be absolutely fine. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, this is The Real Football Cast, and until next time, goodbye.